is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Unfortunately, a man is little, who is little known to you, but is a powerful chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is being played for a fool. And he's a Republican. I'm going to read this article to you. And this is all over the media now. I'm going to read this to you. Headline. Egypt warned Israel three days before Hamas massacre, U.S. congressman says. What? U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Michael McCall, a Republican, told reporters on Wednesday that Egypt had warned Israel three days before Hamas's assault on southern Israel that, quote, an event like this could happen, unquote, according to U.S. media. There seems to have been a failure of intelligence, he said. We're not quite sure how we missed it. We're not quite sure how Israel missed it. After a classified briefing. Classified briefing by whom? Well, obviously, U.S. intelligence. We know that Egypt had warned the Israelis three days prior that an event like this could happen. We know this event was planned perhaps as long as a year ago, added the House Foreign Affairs Committee chairman. McCall's statements come after a series of reports that Egyptian intelligence officials had sent warnings to Israel ahead of Hamas's assault over the weekend. On Monday, the AP reported that an Egyptian intelligence official had said that Egypt had warned Israel repeatedly about, quote, something big, unquote, but that this warning was downplayed as, as Israeli officials were focusing on the West Bank. So Egyptian intelligence says it was downplayed because they were focused on the West Bank? We have warned them. An explosion of the situation is coming in very soon, and it would be big, but they underestimated such warnings, said the official, the Egyptian official to the AP. On Tuesday, Al Monitor reported as well that senior Egyptian officials had warned Israel of an impending attack from Gaza, but that these warnings were not specific and not brought to the prime minister's attention. Now, how would the Egyptians know that? 
But let's go on. On Wednesday, the Financial Times cited two unnamed officials as stating that Egyptian intelligence repeatedly warned Israel that the situation in the Gaza Strip could explode. The officials added that there was no hard intelligence about a specific attack, and this was only a general warning. Now, why would Egyptian intelligence be leaking this all over America's media and worldwide media? The prime minister's office, this is at the very end of the story. That would be Netanyahu. The prime minister's office has denied the reports, calling them, quote, absolutely false, unquote, and stressing that, quote, no message in advance has arrived from Egypt and the prime minister has neither spoken nor met with the head of Egyptian intelligence since the formation of the government, neither directly nor indirectly. Shouldn't that be the lead paragraph, Mr. Producer? So we have leaks by Egyptians to the media. Oh, we warned. We warned them what? We have three different scenarios here. And of course, it's in the best interest of United States intelligence, which of course turned on Trump and so forth and so on, to point the finger elsewhere as well. Now here's the deal, folks. This guy's the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. There's been no formal review. There's not been no interviews. There's been no, no investigation. There's been no discussion with the Israeli intelligence. We don't know what American intelligence knew or didn't know. There's been nothing. There hasn't been a hearing. Nothing. There's been a briefing. And this fool... The chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee is all over the place saying, yes, the Israelis were warned by the Egyptians. Warned of what? We have three different scenarios. Let's say they were warned of something. And by the way, as a practical matter, you always get these kinds of warnings. We get them in the United States, too. Police departments get them. The FBI gets them. State troopers get them. Everybody gets them. But that's not the point. Why would the chairman, the Republican chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee make such a definitive, conclusive statement when absolutely no review has been conducted. Because he's being played for a fool. I've never been impressed by this guy. You've probably seen him on TV. He's a big rhino. He's weak. Not a particularly high IQ. You can tell when he talks. But man, he's all over the place now. And why would he say this now when he doesn't have all the facts? Because he's being played. That's why. Maybe there was a failure of Israeli intelligence. Maybe they were told something by the Egyptians. What were they told? Who knows? Who told who? I don't know. But McCall knows everything. Because he was briefed by our intelligence for an hour or so. He knows everything. Well, what about our intelligence? What did we know? Apparently nothing. Well, why would the Egyptians just give this to Israeli intelligence and not to even American intelligence? We have troops in the region. We have a base in the region. Why wouldn't they tell us? I don't know. There's a lot we don't know. So why would this fool come out and make a definitive statement? Now, before he has all the facts, because he's a fool, that's why. 
If something was missed that should have been caught, that'll be dealt with and should be. But McCall has no idea, no idea of the full or comprehensive extent of any information. He doesn't. Because our intelligence services don't even have it. Because the Israeli intelligence and U.S. intelligence, they're going to have to be reviewed by our government and the Israeli government. Let me suggest to you right now, the Israeli government is focused on one thing and one thing only. Saving its country. Saving its country. So McCall coming out, popping off like this, without being fully informed. Oh, but we had a briefing. I don't know, did you have a briefing on Russia collusion? Did you have a briefing on the dossier? All kinds of briefings are taking place. That's not my point. My point is you got to wait to gather the information. And when you're the chairman of a powerful committee and you do something like this, you undermine our country and you undermine their country because you don't really know squat. That's why there are reviews after the fact. Military operations, intelligence operations. How did we miss this? How did we miss that? You don't just pop off because... The Egyptians are putting out all this information, and he had a briefing from U.S. intelligence, and, you know, we saw this text, and we saw that. You don't know a damn thing. You certainly don't know all of it, and you should know better than to gather all the information before you pop up. This is a dumb man. This is a rhino. He's absolutely in the wrong position as chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Absolutely in the wrong position position. Then I watched an interview, I think it was with Cavuto, of Mark Warner. He's the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And at no time, in fact, let me change that, he defended the $6 billion going to the Iranians. They have the same talking points. Well, it's not really to the Iranians, it's not really our money, it goes in the account over here, it's not part of it, so why not freeze it? He didn't want to freeze it, or he wouldn't, he wouldn't be pinned down on it. Now, this is illustrative of something that's been going on all over the media with the Democrats and the liberals, even those who have condemned what's taking place, which isn't all of them. Some will condemn Hamas, but defend the Palestinians. You know... Abbas, he's moderate. He's over there, the Palestinian. No, he's not. He's a terrorist. And we specifically passed laws that prevented him from giving enormous pensions to Palestinian terrorists from the Palestinian Authority who were slaughtering Jews and, by the way, Americans like Taylor Force. And so the United States Congress had had enough of it. They passed the Taylor Force Act, which prevents hundreds of millions of dollars a year from going to the Palestinians, primarily the Palestinian Authority. Why? Because it gives pensions to terrorists. And the more Jews you kill, the bigger the terrorists. A a pension. Shouldn't that be condemned, Democrats and liberals on TV? Shouldn't you condemn that? Because Donald Trump said, no, I'm signing that law. And Joe Biden said, guess what I'm doing? I'm contravening that law. And a federal judge basically ruled that yesterday. But the Democrats and the liberals on TV, the guests and the hosts, 
You don't hear crap about that. Now we have so-called moderate Democrat senators putting out almost exactly the same DNC-written talking points. If Iran is found to have been involved in these terrorist activities against Israel, then we should freeze the $6 billion. Oh, how courageous. And their statements are almost exactly the same. Oh, that's very courageous. Cynically political, the worst kind. Okay. How come you don't issue a press release that states that the Biden administration, the Democrats, need to enforce the Trump sanctions, oil sanctions, that were placed on Iran, which enabled, when Biden reversed it, Iran to get $70 billion that they didn't have before, selling their oil to China and Venezuela and Russia and Syria to rearm itself and build up its terrorist war machine. How come you don't put out a statement condemning that? This is what I mean. How come I haven't heard a single Democrat liberal on any of the cable channels condemn that? And how come, having screwed this up, they're not demanding right now that Biden enforce those sanctions? Where's that press release? Where's that statement, liberals and Democrats on TV? Nowhere. Nothing. And how many liberals and Democrats on TV have condemned Joe Biden for the murder of 100,000 American citizens as a result of fentanyl coming over our open border? Or the rapes and the murders and the sex slavery? How come they don't put out a statement? Or how come the Democrat liberals on TV don't say, okay, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, we need to reverse course, secure the damn border, we see what's happened in the Middle East now and in Israel and so forth. Nothing. Zippo. Why is that? Because you're a Democrat first. Country second. Our country second. Every other country. Second, third, fifth, doesn't matter. Because that's your religion. That's your faith. That's your ideology. It's always about power. Regardless of the costs. And so now what we're hearing is from people like that. The atrocities are horrific, monstrous. You mentioned Biden, but, and the Praetorian Guard steps in. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. What don't we understand? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's 
L-E-V-I-N, to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. I want to say something to you and my audience. And I may say it on the weekend on Fox as well. The vast majority of you in my radio audience are not Jewish. You're Americans, you're patriots. Some of you are Jewish, some of you are Christian, some of you are Muslim, some of you are nothing. I want to thank all of you. As an American Jew, we are a tiny percentage of the population in the United States. We're even a smaller percentage when you consider the world population. I and my parents, my grandparents before them, my family, are so thoroughly grateful to be in this country. Where we have a constitution, where we have a Bill of Rights, where we have the ability to speak like no other place on the face of the earth. I am grateful for this country. My family has fought for this country. My family loves this country. We are blessed to be here, all of us. And from my heart and soul, I want to thank you. You could turn the other way. You could become one of these anti-Semites in the Democrat Party or whatever. But you don't. You have a soul, you have a heart. You know what we Jews call Gentiles? Like you. Righteous Gentiles. It's the highest praise that we can give. And you also know, and I also know, that this fight is bigger than Israel. It's bigger than the Jewish people. It's the same people, if they got nuclear weapons, would blow our country off the face of the earth. I'll be right back. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or a 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's 
L-E-V-I-N, to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Well, we're here with one of my favorite senators, Tom Cotton of Arkansas. Senator Cotton, I'm watching a lot of this coverage, and what's missing from a lot of this coverage, certainly on MSNBC and CNN and in the usual news platforms, is context. Uh, Everybody's praising Joe Biden for his speeches, but they don't go back and look at his actions, or should I say inactions. Are you concerned that policies in the United States, which basically reversed all the policies of the Trump administration, help rearm the enemy, help rearm the terrorists, and that uh, we we act like none of this actually occurred? Hey, Mark, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's a simple fact that not just Joe Biden's policies reverse Donald Trump's policies, but these policies go back to the Obama-Biden era. Um, Barack Obama and Joe Biden have a very ideological view of the Middle East. Their intent has always been to try to elevate Iran as regional power, thinking it can be turned into some kind of normal state uh, that can then balance off against Israel and our Arab partners. When in reality, uh, Iran is a radical theocratic dictatorship and will never be anything but as long as the Ayatollahs govern it. That's why they fund and fuel groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, who are dedicated not just to killing Jews in Israel, but to killing Americans as well. And President Biden's policies are simply a resurrection of Barack Obama's policies, in many cases run by the same people who made Iran policy in the Obama administration have projected weakness, they have empowered Iran, and therefore they have empowered Iran's proxies like Hamas. And still to this day, even when you look at his speeches, the president yesterday refused to say the word Iran. He talked about any country. He refused to mention Hezbollah. He talked about any organization. Like, he apparently will not even say the names of our enemies for fear of provoking them or angering them. Um, When in reality, what we should be saying directly, not just some unnamed organization or unnamed nation is if Iran or Hezbollah take advantage of the situation, we will crush them as well. Well, he mentioned in passing at the White House, and what he didn't do today is this, Senator Cotton. We focus on this $6 billion, which is bad enough, and it's not just the availability of money at some point to be used for terrorism. It is the fact that we would give $6 billion to an enemy that is trying to build nuclear weapons on ICBMs aimed at the United States, that has sent an assassin to the United States to kill a former Secretary of State, former head of the National Security Council, and a a, a country that is the, the regime that has killed American soldiers, created horrific casualties. You're a combat veteran. You know this yourself. And we give them $6 billion. Let's pretend they use it to buy flowers. Why would you give them $6 billion for anything? Yeah. uh, And, Mark, the argument that Joe Biden and his uh, administration made last month 
is that, well, it can only be used for humanitarian purposes, food and medicine. Uh, it, it's so dumb that it can only be made in bad faith. Of course, if you give the government of Iran $6 billion, even if you just let them use it for food and medicine, that frees up $6 billion that they would have spent on food mm-hmm. and medicine. And it empowers Iran. And it's not just the $6 billion. It's $10 billion that was rooted through Iraq. It's tens of billions of dollars that Iran has re- reaped because of this administration's refusal to enforce oil sanctions. So, of course, they're using that money to fund and arm their proxies like Hamas and Hezbollah or the militia groups in Iraq that have attacked American forces more than 80 times with barely a response from this administration. And beyond the money, as you say, it also projects weakness. It is appeasement. It tells Iran that the United States will not defend our interests. In fact, will continue to grant concessions in the hope that they turn over a new leaf. And let's talk about something that's uh, concrete to everybody here. So what steps has the Biden administration taken to stop right now, to stop Iran from selling oil to China, Syria, Venezuela, Russia, and anybody else who wants to? Have they, have they said, you know what, we're going we're to change our ways here. We're going to stop the sale, the the movement of oil we're going to enforce the sanctions they haven't said that have they no to my knowledge mark they've taken no steps and this is again central to their appeasement of iran is to allow them under the table to ship tens of billions of dollars of oil to our number one enemy in the world china and of course that's also a function of their insane energy policy here in the united states Not only are they trying to appease and conciliate the Ayatollahs, who are unappeasable, but they're also trying to keep the price of gas low at home because they refuse to take action that would produce more American oil. So it's doubly, doubly harmful to America. Are you aware of any Republicans in the United States Senate or any Republicans, period, that belong to any anti-Semitic organizations? I'm not personally, Mark, in the Congress or in Arkansas. Maybe there's someone out there. But if any party has a problem with anti-Semitism, it's obviously the Democratic Party. If you look at members of Congress like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, or for that matter, all these radical leftist groups uh, like the Democratic Socialists for America or the Black Lives Matter movement that have been siding with Hamas, siding with people who have beheaded babies, raped and mutilated women and burned families alive for the simple fact that they were Jews. The Democratic Party is the party that has the problem with anti-Semitism in this country. And when Joe Biden says, you know, that anti-Semitism is horrific, you know, he made a very good statement about that in front of Jewish groups. But he doesn't call out a single member, Democrat member of the House of Representatives. He doesn't single out a single media organization or single organization, all of which are aligned with the Democrat Party. So when you talk in an amorphous way like Nancy Pelosi did when it came to um, Omar and so forth and so on, talk is cheap, isn't it, Senator? Talk is very cheap. And for Joe Biden, I mean, he's perfectly capable uh, of calling out congressmen and senators by name. He can do that with Tommy Tuberville or he can do it with... um, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I guess he's never heard of Rashida Tlaib, or he's never heard of Ilhan Omar. Um, but he's perfectly capable of calling out Republicans by name. So maybe he'd call out some of the uh, Democrats in his own party who have been sympathi- sympathizing with Hamas terrorists. Mm-hmm. 
I don't really see any changes in the Biden administration policy. You know, it's one thing to say we're sending the Gerald Ford, the aircraft carrier, our biggest and most sophisticated, and maybe the Eisenhower will join it. And that's all important. That's all good. Providing the military weaponry that the Israelis need, that's all important, all good. But it's important to figure out how we got here from the Abraham Accords, for the Abraham Accords, which Saudi Arabia almost signed on to, to this. And it's my view, Senator, that unless we get to the bottom of the policies, including in the United States, and hold people accountable, there'll be more of this. Do you agree? Yeah, but without a total reversal of the Obama-Biden-Iran policy, you can expect to see more of these savage atrocities, because that's what it has fueled with Iran going back to 2013, when President Obama first uh uh, weakened sanctions, and certainly in 2015 when they signed the nuclear agreement. So without a complete reversal of those policies, you will not see peace and stability in the Middle East. Uh, Mark, e- even Jimmy Carter, by the end of 1979, once the Ayatollahs had toppled the Shah and taken American hostage and Soviet Russia had invaded Afghanistan, changed course. He changed his policy towards those countries. He began a small military buildup that Ronald Reagan uh, uh, took and expanded. But even Jimmy Carter changed course. That's exactly what Joe Biden needs to do. Yet I see no indications that he will. He hasn't done a damn thing to reverse a single one of his policies that's funding this regime, that's funding the Palestinian terrorists who had been defunded. You want to defund by Donald Trump in the past. And uh, Donald Trump took out Soleimani. Donald Trump took out Baghdadi. You know, for all the talk about Donald Trump, Donald Trump was not an isolationist. He did believe in peace through strength. I told him that to his face. You're more Reagan than you think with this peace through strength. He put his foot down. I don't see Biden says, don't, don't, don't do what? Well, first first off, there's no question uh, about that. I mean, Donald Trump was willing to enforce Barack Obama's own red lines when he bombed Bashar al-Assad's forces for bashing his own people. That's not a red line Donald Trump wanted to draw. But he knew, like Ronald Reagan knew, that when the president of the United States and when America makes a commitment, if that commitment is not followed through upon, it projects weakness. Killing Qasem Soleimani is exactly what Ronald Reagan would have done. But no, there's no turn from Joe Biden. I mean, look, they they spent the weekend insisting that, well, the $6 billion hasn't been released yet. Not a penny of it has been spent. My response to that is, that's great news. It means that we can freeze it once again. Yet when they're asked about it, they have no answer. They don't give the obvious, sane, common sense answer, which is, of course, we're not going to give Iran $6 billion after their cat's paw, Hamas, has butchered more than a 1,000 Israelis, which leads me to believe that they're not going to change course, that they're going to actually go ahead and give Iran $6 billion despite the atrocities we've seen in Israel. And my great concern now is when we see when we start seeing Israel, which is a military power, exercise that power to eliminate their enemy, the enemy that wants to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth and not just in Israel. uh, That's when the New York Times, which covered up the Holocaust, will kick in. That's when their media will kick in. That's when the Democrats will go wobbly and start talking about, look at the atrocities and so forth and so on that that are being committed by the Israelis. In other words, They'll support the Israelis when they're victims, but they won't support the Israelis to victory, correct? 
Yeah, that, that's the, the pattern we've seen time and again in the Obama-Biden era, Mark. You saw it in 2006, you saw it in 2008, you saw it in 2012, and 2014, and 2021. After a few days, when there are civilian casualties because Hamas and Hezbollah use human shields at places like hospitals and kindergartens and mosques to attack Israel, Democrats get wobbly and they waver and they start calling for proportionality and restraint. Mark, they cut the heads off babies. There is nothing Israel could do in Gaza that would be disproportionate. And if any child, if any hospital patient is killed in Gaza, it's because Hamas was using schools and hospitals and mosques for military purposes. And Israel should do now in Gaza and to Hamas what we did after Pearl Harbor, because I think that's the best analogy here is Pearl Harbor. We totally destroyed Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. Did we keep a head count of how many enemy we killed during the course of World War II, Senator? Uh, There were tens of thousands, Mark, not in some on many nights, on many nights. And that, I'm, I mean, conventional bombing, not Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but on many nights in places like Tokyo and Dresden, we killed tens of thousands to win that war. And although Israel, no more than you or I, doesn't want to see civilian casualties, in the end, this is war. And mm-hmm. civilian casualties result in places like Gaza because Hamas uses them to protect itself and protect its military infrastructure. There are reports now even that Hamas is refusing to allow civilians in Gaza to relocate to what the Israeli Defense Forces are identifying as safe zones because they want civilian casualties. And the American media know it. They 100% know exactly what's going on here. Can we just admit, Senator, the American media is anti-Israel? Isn't that the bottom line, starting with the New York Times? I think large segments of our media are objectively anti-Israel, just like large segments of the Democratic Party. Remember, Mark, on the way out the door at the end of 2016, the Obama administration refused to veto yet another anti-Israel resolution in the United Nations Security Council, something that administrations of both parties had done for decades. Barack Obama openly said that he wanted to have daylight between the United States and Israel. And we saw what that brought us. And you saw with Donald Trump, when there was no daylight between the United States and Israel, what you got. It wasn't an inflamed Arab street. It wasn't rioting. It was peace and stability. Because when America is strong and resolute in the defense of our interests and our friends, our enemies are fearful. And I might add, Senator, that these same terrorists, they can give their groups different names killed 3,000 American citizens on one morning, killed an enormous number of our soldiers, horrific casualties. You can see it on TV every day what took place here. This is our enemy, too. And we have a wide-open border, and I predict, it's not that I'm Nostradamus, it's pretty obvious, that one day we're going to get a horrific hit. People are going to point fingers and we know what the problem is. Senator, I can tell you're playing with your kids. That is wonderful. And I want you to let you go play with your kids. I have a hard break anyway. 
Well, Mark, thank you. I, I'm I'm at a Little League ball game tonight, and I, I thought about not accepting the invitation, but I thought, you know, I, I wanted to come on because we're blessed to live in this country and be able to go to Little League ball games yeah. or sleep, even sleep at home safely, not knowing that we have murderous, bloodthirsty savages on our border who would break into our country, who would massacre our children. And what I am able to do tonight, what all these other parents or children are able to do tonight, is what Israeli parents are not able to do tonight. And that's why we have to stand four square with Israel in this coming war. God bless you, Senator. You're terrific. Take care. Thank you, Mark. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you been waiting to buy gold as an investment? Lots of commercials out there, but who can you really trust? I didn't want to make a bad investment, but didn't want to miss the boat either. Sound familiar? Fortunately, I've got great news. If you have an IRA or a 401k and want to buy physical gold to diversify your investment, eliminate fear and uncertainty from the process, get the new gold IRA company integrity checklist. It helps you evaluate and choose the best gold IRA company. To get your free IRA company integrity checklist today, text LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Now, I trust Augusta Precious Metals and invested myself. Use this checklist to choose the best gold IRA company for yourself and see if you agree. To get your free gold IRA company integrity checklist today, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Text date and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at Augusta Precious Metals I've got a lot more. I don't know that I can fit it all in in our three hours, but we will at least try. All right, we've got a lot more, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. I have a question for you. How many people died... As a, as a result of the New York Times covering up the Holocaust. If we're going to keep body counts, let's do it. How many people died as a result of the New York Times covering up the Holocaust? Let me, uh, let me open another one of my books on freedom of the press. These books will be other than family and friends, my legacy when I'm gone. People forget what's said on radio and TV. They forget what's said on online, but books last. And I write books to last not because of a legacy. I write books to last because I want to convey what I think are important points to save our country. 
1984, Dr. David S. Wyman, page 145 on Freedom of the Press, in his book, The Abandonment of the Jews, and he wasn't Jewish, by the way, explained that, quote, one reason ordinary Americans were not more responsive to the plight of European Jews during the Holocaust was that very many, probably a majority, were unaware of Hitler's extermination program until well into 1944 or later. The information was not readily available to the public because the mass media treated the systemic systemic murder of millions of Jews as though it were minor news. And on November 24, 1942, unambiguous evidence of the Nazis' ongoing extermination of European Jews was made publicly available, but was largely ignored by the media. Quote, lack of solid press coverage in the weeks immediately following November 24 muffled the historic news at the outset. In fact, newly released documents prove that the Allied powers knew firsthand of the mass murdered Jews by December 1942. As first reported on April 18, 2017 by The Independent, a British newspaper, quote, newly accessed material from the United Nations not seen for around 70 years, shows that as early as December 1942, the U.S., U.K., and Soviet governments were aware that at least 2 million Jews had already been murdered, and a further 5 million were at risk of being killed and were preparing charges. I'm quoting, Despite this, the Allied powers did very little to try and rescue or provide sanctuary to those in mortal danger. In late December 1942, UK Foreign Secretary Anthony Eden told the British Parliament the German authorities, not content with denying to persons of Jewish race and all their territories over which their barbarous rule extends, the most elementary human rights are now carrying into effect Hitler's oft-repeated intention to exterminate the Jewish people. Unquote. In the United States, Wyman asserted two or three clear statements from Franklin Roosevelt would have moved this news into public view and kept it for some time in the public view. But the president was not so inclined, nor did Washington reporters press him. In retrospect, it seems almost unbelievable that in Roosevelt's press conferences, normally held twice a week, not one word was spoken about the mass killing of European Jews until almost a year later. Because they colluded. They didn't want to talk about it. That's me saying that. The president had nothing to say to reporters on the matter, and no correspondent asked him a single question. Roosevelt and his State Department, which was populated with several individuals who were, at a minimum, indifferent to the fate of the European Jews, and others who were flat-out anti-Semites, and you'll read that in The Democrat Party Hates America, did not want to draw attention to the Holocaust. Roosevelt was assisted in this policy by the American press, writes Wyman. For most of the war, news outlets and journalists censored information about the ongoing uh, extermination of Jews or hid the information in frequent and sporadic reports among voluminous other stories. Most newspapers printed very little about the Holocaust, wrote Wyman, even though extensive information on it eventually reached their desks from news services such as AP, UP, and others, and from their own correspondents. Now, surely the New York Times, with its wide reach, resources, access to foreign sources of information, reputation as the foremost newspaper in the country, large Jewish readership and its Jewish ownership, would do everything possible, I write, 
to investigate and disclose the horrors of Jewish genocide. But the opposite was true. Wyman explained that the Times, Jewish-owned but anxious not to be seen as Jewish-oriented, was the premier American newspaper of the era, printed a substantial amount of information on Holocaust-related events, but almost always buried it on the inner pages. And the Washington Post, the Jewish-owned Washington Post, printed a few editorials advocating rescue, but only infrequently carried news reports on the European Jewish situation. The other Washington newspapers provided similarly limited information on the mass murder of European Jewry. Most of the other press, outside New York and Washington, press coverage was even thinner. All major newspapers carried some Holocaust-related news, but it appeared infrequently, and almost always in small items located in the inside pages. American mass circulation magazines all but ignored the Holocaust. Radio coverage of the Holocaust news was extremely sparse. The evidence of the New York Times cover-up is unequivocal. Taking direct aim, now I'm on page 150 for those following on freedom of the press. Taking direct aim at the New York Times, Professor Laurel Leff of Northwestern University, formerly a journalist, meticulously scrutinized not only the role of the media generally during the Holocaust, but the New York Times in particular. And she's written extensively about, quote, how the New York Times failed in its coverage of the fate of European Jews from 1939 to 1945. In her book, Buried by the Times, she asks, what was it about prevailing press standards and the policies and personalities of the New York Times that led the nation's most important newspaper to discount one of the century's most important news stories? The Times was unique, she wrote, in the comprehensiveness of its coverage and the extent of its influence among American opinion makers. Because of its longtime commitment to international affairs and its willingness to sacrifice advertising rather than articles in the face of newsprint crunch, and its substantial Jewish readership, the Times was able to obtain and publish more news than any other mainstream newspapers. The way the Times published that news also had a disproportionate impact on both policymakers and fellow journalists who considered that the newspaper record. That the Times was owned by Jews of German ancestry, who would seemingly be more sensitive to the plight of the European brethren, further magnifying the Times' critical role in shaping contemporaneous coverage of the Holocaust. Professor Left then makes this damning disclosure, quote, The New York Times' judgment that the murder of millions of Jews was a relatively unimportant story reverberated among other journalists trying to assess the news, among Jewish groups trying to arouse public opinion, and among government leaders trying to decide on an American response. And you have Democrats and liberals today, some of whom are Jewish, not all, maybe not even most, who still defend Joe Biden, his handling of Iran, funding it, funding the Palestinians, selling out the United States to Iran over nuclear weapons, continuing his policies, hasn't made a one-degree turn, let let alone a U-turn, and they still defend him. 
just as they defended and adored Franklin Roosevelt. What happened here? Left writes, Professor Left, the Times publisher Arthur Hayes Sulzberger intentionally and repeatedly buried news about the Holocaust deep within its paper or ignored it altogether. She writes, although the war was the dominant news, it need not have been and was not the only front page news. The New York Times printed between 12 and 15 front page stories every day. Fewer than half of these typically concern the war. The New York Times first story in the Nazi extermination campaign, which described it as the greatest mass slaughter in history, appeared on page five. Tacked onto the bottom of a column of stories. Yet the deaths of other civilians, often fewer than 100, regularly appeared on the front page. Sulzberger's personal philosophical views on Judaism also played a major part in his callous disengagement from the plight of the European Jews. In the case of Sulzberger, writes Professor Leff, concerns about special pleading and dual loyalties were not purely a pragmatic calculation. They also reflected a deeply felt religious and philosophical belief that made Sulzberger resistant to changing his views in the light of changing circumstances. Being Jewish was solely a religious, not a racial or ethnic orientation, he maintained. They carried with it no special obligation to help fellow Jews. As anti-Semitism intensified in Germany, and to a lesser extent in America, he protested a bit too vigorously, perhaps, that Jews were just like other citizens. They should not be persecuted as Jews, but they should not be rescued as Jews either. In fact, American Jews who helped other Jews because they were Jews threatened to undercut their position in America, Sulzberger believed. The Times publisher thus was philosophically opposed. Really, my words too, to reporting on the Holocaust. Incredibly, Sulzberger's personal dislike of certain Jewish leaders in opposition to their efforts to establish a Jewish state in the original Jewish homeland further soured him, and hence, the Times' coverage of the Holocaust was minimal. Professor Leff wrote that Sulzberger's involvement with the American Jewish community also led him to be less inclined to emphasize their fate. His antipathy for Jewish leaders in the U.S. and Palestine tempered somewhat his sympathy for persecuted Jews in Europe. So the guy's a leftist. He's an ideologue. He wants to serve the interest of Franklin Roosevelt and the Democrat Party. That's exactly the New York Times today. Exactly the New York Times today. The slaughter of the Jews, the massacres, we've all seen the video, Jew and Gentile alike. We've all seen it, it's horrendous what's taking place. Can we expect the New York Times to objectively and honestly cover what's happening by describing who's doing what to whom? No, we cannot. And as the Israelis demonstrate that they will not play the role of victim, that they will not let their babies and their children and their mothers and their fathers and their grandparents and their Holocaust survivors be pushed into what is the equivalent of gas chambers, of ovens, of mass graves, the New York Times will turn on the Israelis. It has always turned on the Israelis. Whenever Hamas or another terrorist group 
has attacked innocent civilians and started slaughtering them. And as soon as Israel fights back, up goes the numbers game. Up goes the Hamas propaganda handed out particularly to the New York Times, and you'll see it on CNN and MSNBC, which already is the home to fifth columnists who hate America and are more than happy to carry the water for the enemy, and already are. But any news organization, any, any news program that plays the numbers game and doesn't tell you that whatever consequences, whatever casualties, whatever deaths occur as a result of the Israelis defending themselves and their existence, that that's on the hands of the terrorists and Hamas and Hezbollah in Iran, that that's on their head then you know that those so-called news organizations are no different than the New York Times was during the Holocaust. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans. About a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation. And Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this no cause and you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service and pure talks plans started just 20 bucks a month offering unlimited talk unlimited text more data and a mobile hotspot just go to puretalk.com slash levin l-e-v-i-n and make the switch let's rally together show our unwavering support for our veterans get the best service at the best price as well visit puretalk.com slash levin puretalk.com slash l-e-v-i-n and switch to pure talk today in less than 10 minutes it's the right move and it's the American way. Our friends at Newsbusters remind us that for years, phony journalists, Democrat Party journalists excused and promoted Hamas. Cut to go. This morning, a top former Israeli general went on national radio in Israel to say there has been absolute apartheid in the occupied West Bank for the past 57 years and even compared the situation there with Nazi Germany. Palestinians are looking around and, and thinking, who is going ever to protect us? Hamas is seeing a wave of popularity after this latest round of violence presenting itself as the sole defenders of the Palestinian people. Farah never supported Hamas before but does now. Violence comes from despair. In Gaza, many see these attacks as justified. Many Palestinians believe dancing with death is the only way to show their desperation. Politicians think they can just ignore the context in which all of this is happening, the fact that Israel is an occupying power. When you have mandatory conscription uh, and service in Israel, effectively the Palestinians will say it's war against everyone because everyone's a soldier. Look, I think we need to understand that Palestinians live a daily reality of structural oppression and violence subjugation, control, oppression, etc. Many Palestinians feel powerless. The Palestinians have to, I mean, they're, they're frustrated. They're trying to get... Then why uh, don't they overthrow Hamas? Hamas kills its own people. If they're frustrated, 
If they feel oppressed, then why don't they overthrow Hamas? Well, Mark, they don't have enough power. Then why don't they ask for help? There's a nation right next to the Gaza Strip that would have more than happily helped them. Let's be blunt, regardless of what the media are saying. If the majority of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip didn't want Hamas, there would be no Hamas. They voted them in. And they won't leave. But now you're hearing the media. The two-faced media. Their circumstances, their situation. So why are they spending billions and billions of dollars on tunnels to kill Jews? Why are they spending their money on missiles? 5,500 missiles and missile launchers to kill Jews. Why are they the the puppet regime of the Iranians if they don't like being oppressed. Why don't they contact us, the United States, and tell us we want help, we want out? The media are sickening, and you know most of those folks had accents, and most of those are accents from where? The Middle East. Just being honest, you hear them, I hear them, everybody hears them. They're propagandists. And many of them are Israel and Jew haters, dressed up as journalists. What about Hamas? Have you ever heard a full story or read a full story in the New York Times or any of these networks or these CNN and MSNBC talking to dissidents, even without their faces and anonymously about what Hamas is doing to the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip? I even heard one reporter say, Most of the Palestinians in Gaza are innocent. They don't want this. Then do something about it. Or Israel will. I'll be right back. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans. About a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation. And Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this noble cause. And you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service. And Pure Talk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, unlimited text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and make the switch. Let's rally together, show our unwavering support for our veterans, get the best service at the best price as well. Visit puretalk.com slash Levin, puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and switch to Pure Talk today in less than 10 minutes. It's the right move, and it's the American way. The only constitutional lawyer you can see today for free. No appointment necessary. Just call him at 877-381-3811. Man, I love you in the audience. I'm so blessed to have you and to have this platform to take on the New York Times and the rest of the media, to take on the Democrat Party and their rat anti-Semites to take on the Palestinian terrorists and their front groups acting as student groups all along and all throughout our country in these college campuses 
Just remember the people trying to slaughter the Israelis are the people who tried to slaughter us. And they won't stop. They're not going to stop. Iran wants a nuke. And Biden's going to hand it to them. That'll change everything. I mean, look how intense we are now in this country. Do you realize the number of Americans killed by Hamas is increasing every day? As they count the bodies and try and figure out who's who? Do you realize the number of American hostages has increased significantly? How come we always have American hostages under Joe Biden, whether it's Afghanistan or here? In this situation. Pays the Iranians six billion dollars and also gives them back five terrorists. As I said on Hannity last night, how many mulligans does this guy get? And by the way, I enjoyed my four and a half minutes on Hannity, Mr. Producer. Where Robert Kennedy went on for like eight and a half minutes, like a, a homeless guy. And Lindsey Graham went on and on and on. And the other guy, and I was four and a half minutes. I've told Sean, four and a half minutes, I ain't doing it. Just not enough time to say what I needed to say. Although I felt like I said what I needed to say. You know, he's like a brother to me. It's a joke we have. Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday. It took all of this for him to figure out. For Jake to figure out. That anti-Semitism comes from the left. Cut four, go. There, there does seem to be, look, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the, during the Trump years looking at anti-Semitism on the right. This does, these last few days have been a real uh, eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language uh, used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday. Yeah, that's right, Jake. You should be listening to this show. And I think you'd sober up, seriously. Trump is no anti-Semite. It's like people calling Zelensky a Nazi. Zelensky a Jew. He lost family members in the Holocaust. Trump an anti-Semite? The first president with Jewish members of a family? His son-in-law, his wife? Their children, that is his grandchildren? Why would an anti-Semite move the capital, excuse me, the embassy of the United States from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? Why would he announce that Jerusalem is the ancient and modern capital of the Jews? Why would he say that the United States under his administration recognizes the Golan Heights as Israeli territory? And so many other things. Has Biden demonstrate some great compassion or concern, or even just a cold-hearted geographic slash political reality of what goes on over there? No. People are persuaded. They go on TV by what Biden says. I look at what he does or doesn't do. 
he hasn't changed any of his policies toward Iran, toward the Palestinians, including Hamas, towards Hezbollah. Not one. He continues to fund them by refusing to enforce sanctions. We've been through this. Here is Talib. You've seen this. Hillary Vaughn is a fantastic reporter. She happens to be, by the way, Peter Ducey's wife. Good couple. Cut five, go. Terrorists have um, cut off babies' heads and burned children alive. Do you support Israel's rights to defend themselves against brutality? We're just going to go through here. You can't comment about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads. Congresswoman, do you have a comment on Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads? You have nothing to say about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads. What Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street. You have no comment about children's heads being chopped off. Congressman, why do you have a Palestinian flag outside your office if you do not condone what Hamas terrorists have done to Israel? Wouldn't say a word. I hear people defending that she has a Palestinian flag hanging outside her office. I mean, after all, maybe a Jewish congressman or congresswoman has an Israeli flag. What's the difference? Well, if you don't know what the difference is, then you need to go back to church or synagogue or your mosque and figure out the difference between good and evil. But here's what's amazing. You folks in Maryland, Prince George's County in particular, that area, you've had forever a man named Stimpy or Steny Hoyer, who for the longest time was the number two Democrat in the House of Representatives. Been there forever. Before that, he was lieutenant governor. He wanted to be governor. He didn't make it. He wanted to be senator. He didn't make it. So he said, you know what? I'll be a congressman the rest of my life. An extremely powerful Democratic member of the House. And our dear friend, Lawrence Jones, will be on this program in about a half hour. By the way, I love these young reporters at Fox. They are the best. They are fantastic. Whether it's Hillary Vaughn, Peter Ducey, Lawrence Jones, and others, they are, they are just terrific. Real journalists. Steny Hoyer defends Rashida Tlaib. Defends her. Cut six, go. Should your colleague Rashida Tlaib still have the Palestinian flag outside of her office? I don't know. It. She's Palestinian. You know, that doesn't mean she's a terrorist. No, his point is genius. They give him what's being done to the Jews by Palestinians now. 
Oh, not all Palestinians. No, no, no. There's some great, peaceful, leading Palestinians in the Middle East. Name one. Who are the peaceful Palestinian leaders in the Middle East? Who are they? There aren't any. Oh. That's why she should take the flag down, because of what's being done. In the name of the Palestinians. In the Middle East. You see, the media and the Democrats want to have it both ways, right? Now look here, Hamas and these terrorists, they're not the same as the Palestinians. Okay, got it. And then the media reports. What? Saw one report today, one of the major networks. There were Jews in favor of Israel. Jews protesting against Israel. Really anti-Semitic in New York. And the news, I think it was NBC, said, the two sides face off, the Palestinians and the Jews. Oh, so they are just Palestinians who are supporting Hamas. Who are talking about the obliteration of the Jews. Who are talking about the Holocaust and have a swastika flag walking around. Well, who are they? Are they Palestinians or are they Hamas terrorists who are Palestinians? Well, the news didn't make the distinction when it was saying the two sides are facing off against each other. Which two sides? Go ahead. Condones this, Rashida. I, I have a, I have a, I, I, I fly a Danish flag uh, in at my house. Um, does it mean one? I stop. What are you, an idiot? Oh yeah, the Danes are very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Everybody knows that. I fly a Danish flag in my... Great, I eat Danish. What does that have to do with it? Particularly apple Danish. I like apple Danish. Go ahead. Supportive of her comments. I, I disagree with uh, some of her comments. Um, she lamented the death on both sides. Uh, and, and I think she, she condemned... I, I don't have her statement right in front of me. Let me explain she, something. They will defend her even as she defends the Hamas terrorists, the Islamic Jihad terrorists, the Muslim Brotherhood terrorists, the Iranian terrorists, the Hezbollah terrorists, the Palestinian Authority terrorists. She's made it abundantly clear where she stands. And I want to remind everybody that it was she on the airplane tarmac when Joe Biden went up to her after she spewed all this Jew hate and Israel hate and told her, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. Do I owe you something, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I have to tell you something that speaks to the very core of our values as Americans. About a veteran-owned company on a mission to make a real difference in the lives of our military members. And of course, I'm talking about our great sponsor, Pure Talk. I absolutely love what they're doing. Our veterans gave everything to protect our nation. And Pure Talk understands the sacrifices they've made. Now, they've set an ambitious goal to eliminate $10 million in military debt by Veterans Day. But they can't do it alone. They need your help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning-fast 5G network, they'll donate a portion of every new order to this no 
cause. And you can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell phone service. And Pure Talk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, unlimited text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N, and make the switch. Let's rally together, show our unwavering support for our veterans, get the best service at the best price as well. Visit puretalk.com slash Levin, puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and switch to Pure Talk today in less than 10 minutes. It's the right move, and it's the American way. The Democrat Party hates America. Let me read something to you that I wrote. Page 99 of the Democrat Party hates America. Although the Democrat Party has recalibrated its modern racist targets, like Democrats of old, it remains the party of anti-Semitism. In fact, as the Democrat Party's Marxist core continues to metastasize, so does its anti-Semitism. For example, the current leader of the House Democrats and Speaker-in-Waiting, Hakeem Jeffries, strongly defended his bigoted, anti-Semitic uncle, Leonard Jeffries, when Hakeem Jeffries was a leading activist in college. CNN reports Leonard Jeffries faced widespread backlash in the early 90s after comments he made about the involvement of rich Jews in the African slave trade and conspiracy planned and plotted and programmed out of Hollywood, of Jewish executives who he said were responsible for denigrating black Americans in films. Geez, that sounds like Joseph Kennedy Sr. He said, Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Minister Louis Farrakhan have come under intense fire, wrote Hakeem Jeffries in 1992. Where do you think their interests lie? Dr. Jeffries has challenged the existing white supremacist educational system, he said, and long-standing distortion of history. His reward has been a media lynching, complete with character assassinations and inflammatory erroneous accusations. Tell me, Hakeem Jeffries, you put out a statement condemning the atrocities. You haven't put out a statement condemning those in your party who support the atrocities and those who've committed the atrocities. Why is that? Why is it that Joe Biden, who likes the name Republicans he hates, MAGA Republicans or Donald Trump, why is it that he doesn't call out by name the anti-Semites in his party and condemn them by name? I keep hearing, uh, Kier, whatever the hell her name is, the, uh, the, uh, this press idiot for the idiot, oh, she put out a strong statement taking these people to task. Did she name them by name? No. Is there movement afoot in the Democrat Party to expunge, a.k.a. expel these people from their party's ranks? No. Are they condemned by the New York Times? No. You notice the Republicans don't have this problem? This is what I mean when I say in the book that the Democrat Party projects its own history, its own racism, its own anti-Semitism, onto the Republican Party and onto the country. And by the way, as a footnote, I want to thank those of you who continue to purchase The Democrat Party Hates America. It's number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, that's a big deal because it's been out now for four weeks, and it goes against books that are out in their first week, and they pile up pre-orders and so forth. And so I want, to, uh, I want to thank you. It is so important. You say, Mark, how do you know all this stuff? You can know it all, too. It's right there in the book. 
And then everything starts to make sense. They don't make sense, but everything else starts to make sense. Very, very important. Stempy Hoyer, you heard it. Then we got this guy, Dan Goldman. He's also Jewish, and he's in Israel when the attacks occur, and he gets out of Israel. He says he's there with his wife and three little kids, and of course he is, and he gets out, and he refuses to criticize Talib, stands on Israel. I can point to many things on the right. Nobody asked you about many things on the right, you a-hole. I want you to hear this fool. He is a fool. And Jamie Raskin, I haven't seen any anti-Israel comments from Democrats. These are radical left-wing Jews, not men of deep faith. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Dan Goldman on Fox News today. He goes out of Israel. He was there with his three kids. And he talks about the horror. But he will not criticize his fellow Democrat, Talib. Listen to this. Our great friend Lawrence Jones who as you saw asked Stimpy Hoyer a simple question that he wouldn't answer or maybe he did answer and condemned himself cut seven go you have protests in New York City where they have swastikas when you have even your colleague respectfully Rashida Tlaib has not been as forceful against what's happening um, I, how do you go back to the to the hill and try to get them to re- rally for the Israeli people uh, look, there, there are fringe parts of, uh, of many different parties. Uh, there are conservative marches in the South with swastikas all the time. Conservative marchers in the South. He asked you about your party in Congress. How many conservative marchers with swastikas are in, your, in the uh, Republican Party, you moron, on Capitol Hill? 
your deflection makes it abundantly clear that you put your party before everything. You put your party before your country. You claim to support Israel. You put your party before Israel. You're a sick bastard. You are simply a sick bastard. Go ahead. 100%. So what do you I, I say condemn. to your party? What do you say to... I've had conversations with them, and, and uh, you know, Representative Ocasio-Cortez has condemned both that rally and the Hamas attacks. And what we're talking about here is terrorism. Yeah. And what we are emphasizing and what President Biden said so forcefully right, yesterday... That's enough. I don't need a propagandist. Jamie Raskin, who at any slight attacks Donald Trump, the Republicans, conservatives, as racists, as anti-Semites, as criminals and crooks, any little slight. But Raskin is a Marxist that comes from a long line of Marxists. And there's Hillary Vaughn. Oh, I love these reporters. Go ahead. A couple of your colleagues have called for a ceasefire, called for de-escalation, referred to Israel as an apartheid state. Do you think Democrats are unified in their support for Israel? Yeah, we're absolutely unified behind Israel's right to exist and Israel's right to uh, defend itself. And we'll be standing strong with Israel. What do you make of the comments from your colleagues that, that sort of indicate otherwise? Well, I just I haven't seen any of those. Um, and um, uh, all that I've heard um, is... Uh, a very powerful consensus that we need to stand by Israel as it defends itself. He's a liar. He's a fraud. He's a phony. There's another one. Another Marxist puts his party before his own country, before the lives of the Israelis. I'm calling it out, baby. No candy coating. This is who they are. Dearborn, Michigan. which, of course, is overwhelmingly now Arab. Speaker at a Palestinian rally in Dearborn. Now, let me ask you something. When you're done listening to this, this individual, tell me, does he make a distinction between the Hamas terrorists and the Palestinians? Does he? No, he doesn't. But reporters want to reassure you that there's a big distinction, you know. Really. But I'm not hearing that from the people at these rallies. That there's any distinction. Cut nine, go. We are not going to be intimidated by staying silent when they say Hamas is a terrorist organization, Hamas. I guess it's a peace organization, right? Now this is said to be a Palestinian rally in Dearborn, Michigan, but it's a Hamas rally. So what's the difference between the two? I'm not hearing this guy. In fact, if you really listen carefully at these protests, they are honoring Hamas and terrorism, and they make no distinction between the Palestinians and Hamas. Hamas are terrorists and they're Palestinians. They're all Palestinians. And that's what they want you to know. We're all Palestinians. We're all united. 
whether it's over there or here in the United States, in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, are we going to believe what this guy says? I believe what he says in this respect. Are we going to ignore it and pretend it's otherwise because somebody at CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times or Mediaite and Media Matters, also Democrat strongholds that put party first, they want you to make a distinction, but the people at the rallies aren't making any distinction. Go ahead. And we have to say to them that terrorist is Benjamin Netanyahu and his government. I want to thank the United States government for having such lenient immigration policies that pro-terrorists from the Middle East now have their own city, Dearborn, Michigan. That pro-terrorists from the Middle East had more say on our college campuses than anybody else. And that we even have some of their supporters, they pretend not to be supporters. Let's stop playing games. I don't need Jamie Raskin, who is a Marxist buffoon, and Dan Goldman, who is a party hack, to tell us what's going on. We see it. We're not stupid. More and more of the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. It's getting bigger and bigger. The Democratic Socialists support it. But AOC said it's not, you know, she doesn't support. Well, why didn't she resign from that group? Why doesn't Bernie Sanders resign from that group? How about Omar and Talib and Bowman and Presley and what the hell else is there? They're not going to re- resign from that group. Then we have David Finkel. Well, that doesn't sound Arab to me. It sounds Jewish. I've told you about this group before on this program. Jewish Voice for Peace. Regardless of your faith, you all have people in your faith who use your faith to advance a different agenda. They use their faith as camouflage for their hate. This exists in every faith, including mine. Jewish Voice for Peace, in my view, supports Hamas, supports these groups. It seems unimaginable. But I want you to listen to David Finkel Jewish Voice for Peace member at a at the same Palestinian rally rally or excuse me Hamas rally in Dearborn, Michigan, yesterday. Cut ten, go. Jewish Voice for Peace in Detroit stands with the Palestinian community in the struggle for justice. At this moment, there are two essential priorities to demand of the United States government. First, the siege and the pending invasion of Gaza must be stopped immediately. It is intentionally genocidal, and Israeli government officials have openly said so. It's not disguised. Second, the United States must end its fatal delusion that so-called normalization between Israel, Saudi Arabia, UAE... There you go. There you go. The enemy from within. 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Pleasure to have Lawrence Jones on the program. He does a great job in his new slot on Fox and Friends. You've done a tremendous job on Capitol Hill. I'm very proud of you and Hillary. I mean, you got young reporters here who go right into the thick of it and they're not afraid, politely, but persistently, to ask really, really important questions if you're a patriot. And you know, there are some journalists who are patriots, not enough. Lawrence Jones is one of them. He's written a fantastic new book. I got an early copy of this, Speaking the Truth About the War on Masculinity. American Man is the name of the book. American Man by Lawrence Jones. Lawrence, how are you, my friend? How you doing, big guy? It's, it's an honor to be on the show, and I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the book as well. Well, it's my great honor. You know, these days it's amazing. It takes some guts to write in defense of masculinity, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it, it's sad because it used to be that, you know, the, the standard, the norm, but apparently uh, it's, it's become quite controversial to talk about this openly. And you felt the need to write this? Why? Well, I, you know, I, I saw what was happening in society, and also I was turning um, 30 as I was writing the book, and so I was reflecting on my life and the relationship with my father. My mom had me got pregnant with me at 16. My dad immediately married my mother and they just celebrated 30 years of marriage. And so me and my dad had a tumultuous relationship because he was so hard on me. He was very tough and firm. And as I've grown older, there is a level of appreciation um, that I've gained for that because I've seen, with all due respect, this new generation of young men be so soft and weak. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've seen the failure of society and men not taking their place. And, you know, from a biblical worldview, if, if things are going wrong with society, the men obviously have not taken their place in society because God entrusts us to be the shepherds of our families as we um, follow him. And um, the, the, the first set of structure is a family before you get government. So with everything going so wrong, I, I kind of wanted to lay out some principles, talk to some men that I respected, um, because I want women to be appreciated, but I want them to have a strong man. So I wanted this to be the ideal man for them as their husband, uh, as their son. Um, but I also wanted to defend the principles of manhood as well. Mm-hmm. And you have a chapter in your book, chapter 10 in particular, mm-hmm. man as provider. <laughs> you kind of touched on it. Explain what you mean, because, you know, there's a lot of soft, not just men, but <laughs> some odd people out there that think there's something wrong with this. Yeah, you know, I... Look, I, I feel like God wants us to do this. This is what he commands us to do is to take care of our families, and that means financially. And it just seems like in society, there's this modern-day man that is the stay-at-home dad or the stay-at-home man and wife goes out there and gets the bacon and brings it home. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And it creates disorder, and it creates chaos. And, 
you know, it's totally fine if women want to work and help the household. I'm not, I'm not bashing that, but you know, it, it is our job to provide for our families and make sure that they have everything that they need. If, if the wife wants to do that as a supplement more, more power to her. But as a society, I feel like we're getting away from that. Men, are when they take their girlfriends or they're dating someone, they don't want to pick up the tab. That was required. My mom and dad told mm-hmm. me that on day one. If you, if, if you ask a woman out on a day, you go shake the father's hand and you make sure that you take care of everything because mm-hmm. that is your duty. If you're going to take her away from her father, then you better damn sure be able to provide for her. And that's the thing. This book is basically an effort to reintroduce traditional families back to society. And traditional families, you need a father. You need a father who understands that his role isn't just to go along or play along. That his role is to be a man a manly man, his role is, as you say in the book, to be fit, to be a provider, to know what's going on around them. That's what fathers are. That's what fathers used to be. And yet, as you point out, this is controversial now. And that's why you decided to write this book. Now, let me ask you a question in your own life. Yeah. And there's a lot of good stuff in this book. And we're touching on just the very tip of it here. In your life, you've seen certain men who are men's men and so forth and that sort of thing. And uh, you are that kind of man. You're a young man. And people want to know more and more about you. For instance, mm-hmm. you have a girlfriend? You want to have a girlfriend? Not right now. Okay. I, do, well, I want a wife, first of all. I want, you a, want wife. a wife. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm dating. I'm dating with intention, right? Uh-oh. Um, the days of dating just to Date. have a fling—that's mm-hmm. over. I'm mm-hmm. dating with intention for the wife to be. And so, if someone is not marriage material, then I'm not going to date them because that's wasting time. That's smart. That's smart. The book is. American man, American man. Every man ought to read this book. And by the way, others too, because it's not just when he describes an American man, he's describing a family, really. But The American Man's Role by Lawrence Jones, it's really a great book. And it's endorsed by Hannity and me and Dana Perino and so many others. You can get it on Amazon.com or any bookstore. Stick with us, Lawrence Jones. I've only just begun digging into this book with the, with the audience. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Right back to your book, American Man, Lawrence Jones. This is a full-throated defense of manhood, and in that, a full-throated defense of the nuclear family. My question to you, is manhood, and you can read about all this in the book, and he has fascinating tales about his family, his colleagues at Fox, and others. I mean, it's really a great book. It was an honor to get an early copy and read it and endorse it. And I just wish I could do it justice here, but I encourage you to get it. Is manhood instinctive, Lawrence Jones, or is it learned, or is it both? Well, it's a little bit of both. There are certain things that men have that are inherent, inherent that God placed in us. 
But then there's a a phase where your father, your grandfather, other men that surround you are there to help shape and mold you into that man. So there's a little bit of both. Like, for example, no one ever had to teach me to teach my mom and sister. We're losing you a little bit. We're losing you a little bit. If you're on the sub, just kind of turn a little bit. Um, there you go. Some of the things are instinctual. Um, no one ever had to teach me to defend my mom and sister, mm-hmm. right? That was instinctual. Uh, it, it was placed in me. Just like the nurturing aspect of my mother and sister, God placed that in them. But as the other things in my life were to show me, just because of a, a lack of knowledge, um, how to carry myself, my father and mother taught me to do that type of stuff. What mm-hmm. to do, how to open up a door. My mother was notorious for, <laughs> we'll go to a restaurant or something, or just, you know, go shopping or something, and she would just stand in front of the door. And it was, she would just look like, are you going to get that? Um, because that was required in our household. And, you know, I talk a lot about manhood, but I also talk about what Christ requires us to do for women. Mm-hmm. We love our wives like Christ loved the church, which is the the most sacred type of love. So this is not a book that bashes women. Um, th- this is appreciation of womanhood. But it also is a challenge for men to take their place in society. Mm-hmm. That's a very important point. You're not opposed to strong, independent women. What you're, what you're defending, again, is the distinction between men and women, parenthood, and a nuclear family. And what I really like about your book is that it is finally a pushback on what happened in the 60s and 70s with all these other radical left-wing movements um, that imposed sort of their own ideology, projected it onto men and onto women. And I think to some extent, Lawrence Jones, this is... This has led to this imposed confusion about gender, about men and women's sports, and so forth and so on. Is this what happens when we don't accept what God has given us? Well, you know, Mark, there's a, there's some honesty in the book as well when it comes to me, because I'm much more of a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was interviewing you and Pete Hexeth and... Sean Hannity, there was this confession of, you know, um, I have to be honest in the book as well because I was learning so much as well. And I said, did I, did I, am I responsible for part of this? For saying, oh, if they just want to do that, then let, so be it. Um, as long as it doesn't hurt, hurt anyone. But the problem with the left, as always, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And... You know, Mark, I don't think it's confusion at all. I think they know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, The the problem is they have, they're so secular, they have no principles anymore. And with no principles, you get utter chaos, which is what we're seeing Mm -hmm. in our society. So it wasn't enough for us to say adults that are consenting adults can do whatever they want with their life and live the way they want. Now they have to escalate it and say, the children. And if the parents want to intervene and say, no, 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 I feed them, I put a roof over their head, that I'm going to guide them, I'm going to raise them, and when they get out of my house, they can do whatever they want with their life. And they say, no, 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 they're our children now. 
and we're going to do gender reassignment surgery and not even let the parents know. And if the parents do decide to get involved, then that's child abuse. We have lost ourselves. And I think some of us that have this libertarian approach seated on some issues and said, you know, let's give them some room. Well, you can never give them room. You have to have red lines with them. Yeah, and honestly, you're emphasizing your libertarianism. <clears throat> then you know who Mises is, Australian economist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the Austrian School of Economics. And he said, when he was living, he wrote that uh, Americans talk more like Marxists than they do like free people. And that's same with this yeah. family situation. It's, it's sort of the destruction of the social construct of the family. And I think, sort of from your libertarian point of view, and also your, your family point of view, this is what you see. And I want people to understand, as I try and, with Lawrence portray what's in the book, fascinating interviews. Yes, he did interview me. He worked very hard on this book. He wrote this book. He talks about his colleagues. He talks about people who influenced his life. Because when I was watching Fox, all of a sudden there was Lawrence Jones. <laughs> I think you start. I think you started with Hannity's show, no? So uh, this is. This is a... uh, I, I lost you. Turn again. Hannity did put me on the map. He gets yeah. a lot of credit for that. Oh, Mr. Producer, we have a bad connection. Let's call him right back. And in the meantime, let's do a silent prayer. I know we're not. I have a friend of mine, really a friend of mine, who probably was the first guy who brought me into radio. I don't know what happened to him. Great guy. (laughs) He used to do a one-minute silent prayer on radio. I loved him. I don't want to embarrass him. But that's like the death of radio because of your show. Because ratings, you know, they want to hear people talking or whatever. So if you take a minute in silent prayer, even 30 seconds in silent prayer, that's registered as no audience whatsoever. (laughs) All right, Lawrence, we're back. Go for it, baby. Hannity, you and others? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So Hannity really put me on the map. I became his correspondent. He said, look, if you... I, I denied the job offer that he gave me at first. And he goes, you know, just be you. He goes, if you stick with me um, and you do this for two years, you'll have your own show, which happened. And from there, the boss gave me this incredible opportunity to uh, be a co-host on Fox and Friends now. Mm-hmm. What's it like sitting there with three other people? How do you know when to speak and who gets to say what? <laughs> Oh, you're so good at this, Mark. Plus, you're, you're the really junior good. guy on that on that sofa. <laughs> you know, um, it's the hardest show on the network, in my opinion, yeah. because it's three hours, and there's so much moving, and there's highs and lows. There's entertainment. There's hard news. There's cooking segments. Um, as the young one, you you have to have a lot of humility, and everyone mm-hmm. thinks that they have the most solid point. And you got to know when is the appropriate time to make mm. your point or to compliment your colleague. And the great thing is I've been doing this show since I was 20 years old and I'm 30. So mm-hmm. I've grown up with all these people 
Um, and uh, you just got to know. You got it feels right. It has to feel right. Mm-hmm. I have a simple rule. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't mention it to you, but I have a simple rule. <laughs> if you want me on your show, then shut up for five or six minutes so I can say something and don't interrupt me. Otherwise, why bother? This has nothing to do with you. I say the generic. Why have me on? I've got my own shows. I've got radio, which is bigger than all my Fox shows put together. If you want me on because you want me to say something, let me say it. Is that so bad? You know, only the great one can make that demand. (laughs) Only, only the great one can get six minutes of uninterrupted time on national TV. True, I know. And sometimes you, sometimes... Sometimes it's so good that you, you may get to, you may get to blow a commercial, which is yeah. really huge in TV because that's What's how we that pay all the about? bills. Let me just say something. <laughs> it, it is an honor to know you. I really do enjoy you on Fox and Friends. You have to get up like at ten at night the day before in order to get there. I, it's, it's very very difficult, and uh, you have a terrific personality, and charisma it comes across, smart as hell, a real gentleman, and I want the audience to know. This is a fantastic book. And he's right. It doesn't matter what your gender is and so forth and so on. But it really speaks bluntly, politely, rationally about what's happened to manhood and what we men and what women in support of men need to do Mm -hmm. in order to get our masculinity back. Because society is kind of organized now against masculinity. That's what you're hammered with day in and day out. And... Lawrence does it through interviews, he does it through his own life's experience, he does it through what his colleagues and he have experienced and so forth. I just want you to know, it is a delightful book, American Man, you can get it at Amazon.com right now. Mr. Producer, make sure we put it on our social sites, we'll make it very easy for you just to link up there when, when some of you are on there harassing me. So Lawrence Jones, God <laughs> bless you my friend, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, great one, I appreciate it so much. All right, you take care of yourself. It's a very, very smooth book. In other words, it goes beautifully. And you can see he wrote it. You can see. I know he interviewed me for almost an hour. And uh, smart questions. The guy's smart. He's good. And I'm just glad he's with us. And he was with us tonight. Again, I want to encourage you. Check it out. Particularly those of you, and I'm not trying to be myopic about this or narrow the book, particularly people of faith. It's clear that faith has had a major impact on Lawrence Jones. Told he was kind of wild as a kid and so forth. But he has great faith. And uh, in many ways that straightened him out. Not that he was a thug, I'm not saying that, but it put him on the straight and narrow at a relatively young age. And uh, just terrific. So the book is American Man by Lawrence Jones. On all my social sites, we link, as well as uh, uh, Amazon.com and any major bookstore. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I'm deeply concerned now that the House Republicans, really a handful of them, are going to... cause us to have a uh, well 
a blowout loss in the House of Representatives next election. A blowout loss. They had no reason to remove McCarthy. Now you got this idiot Matt Gates, who's full-throated for Scalise, who's a fine man, but he's not as conservative as McCarthy. Then you have a majority who are supporting Scalise over Jim Jordan. And so while Gates is there backing Scalise, many of the other uh, eight boneheads are backing Jordan. Jordan is throwing his support to Scalise. Some of the boneheads have said that they can't possibly support Scalise. And I can tell you from inside they're having trouble husbanding enough votes to choose a speaker. This is what happens when you follow gadflies, fruitcakes, and buffoons, who are not conservatives. And my great fear is that it's going to cost us the House of Representatives, perhaps the Senate, and then what do we have? Those of you who work hard to elect conservatives to the House, those of you who make sure you vote, those of you who contribute to campaigns should be more pissed off than anybody else. And Gates was the leader. The leader of the gang of eight, they couldn't shoot straight, except into their own, into their own uh, temples. How much time, Mr. Producer? Well, I don't have time to play this for you. Matt Miller is a spokes idiot at the State Department for the most incompetent Secretary of State in my lifetime, who has helped unleash hell against the United States and our allies, especially Israel. And this guy, Matt Miller, is he's asked, uh, we expect Israel to follow the laws of war, says Matt Miller. And so I want you to understand, folks, that the Biden administration and the media in the United States, the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party, indeed the entire Democrat Party, do not actually want Israel to win this war. Hear me clearly. They do not want Israel to win this war. Because they're already tying their hands and they're already laying the foundation to attack Israel should Israel begin to win the war. I want to salute all of you. I want to thank all of you. I'm blessed to be here. God bless you. And I'll see you tomorrow.